Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another all-new X's for Show, your premier media response show. And, of course, it is a Wednesday, so we are here to talk about – oh, it's a Thursday. Eh, same difference. We're it's here the to middle of the week. It's not, it's not Monday, uh, that's for sure. So uh, we are here to talk about comics. You can check the show out at X's for Show on all your socials. Uh, you can check me out at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And then uh, there's these amazing guys. Hello. I'm TK, and you can find me at TK Elemental, and that makes me Kevo. You can find me at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Captain, my captain, what do we have today? Uh, it's a comics broadcast, and it's so funny because I was like, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing this comics broadcast. I don't want to do it. And then uh, we we canned it, and we were like, and then uh, kind of told it to fuck off a little bit. And so then we were like, no, 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 come back. Come back, comics broadcast. Uh, and then, you know, some scheduling things so we can have some amazing people on with us. Uh, but we're kind of here to talk about uh, how it's a pretty, it's an all new ball game for the X-Men uh, this month officially. That is why I am dressed the way I am. I want to throw out there, uh, though, that I feel like the one thing we were like, well, we got to talk Daredevil. We got to do Daredevil. Oh, and I believe Kevo is repping Daredevil. Oh, look at that. I love it's it. A, it's my shirt from an incredibly handsome man, but uh, I'm happy to share it with another uh, incredibly handsome man. As handsome mans are wont to do. It's um, true. It's true. Yeah, we were, at, if nothing else, we were definitely like, we got to talk about Daredevil. There's and then, some other stuff that we're talking about today that I think we were yeah. like, uh, if we skip it, it's fine. Well, I do want to add to that, though. Uh, I I hit a moment. I, I hit a very real moment in time, right? Where one I was like, time? one moment in time, one more day. Um, I hit a. Uh, well, we're naming Spider Man stories, and I love that you're just going full musical because a turn off the light on your way to the bathroom is, of course, the greatest moment in Spider Man history. Um, but something happened for me a couple of months ago where I just stopped loving Marvel comics. I've never stopped loving comics and I'm never going to stop loving Marvel, but like I was not resonating with what was coming out every single month from Marvel. It was getting like harder and harder to want to read these books every single month. As I realized my camera is all sorts of messed up. Perfect. Perfect. And, uh, so the main thing for me was, the Hellfire Gala kind of sealed the deal, and then knowing Daredevil was ending made it even harder. Um, and I was really, oh no, this shirt is the wrong shirt. Oh no, it's all good. Um, but I was really feeling like uh, Marvel just wasn't my playhouse anymore. But between some research for an upcoming uh, run of X's for podcast over on the podcast feed, and a couple of titles that have come out recently. I felt excited to talk about Marvel Comics with these guys this week, and that was a, a really nice feeling. And it felt so good to say something so positive about Marvel three minutes and 30 seconds in. Absolutely. Uh, I think I am still feeling a little bit touchy. Uh, not like I don't want to talk about it, just like... Feeling a little reserved. But I've also, you know, we're a lot of issues and a lot of series into Fall of X. And uh, I'm still here. So there you go. And I, I just want to comment. Part of it for me is not even about, like, I'm happier. Because I'm not happier is right. the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but I reached into uh, I reached down into the the big bag of tricks and I said, uh, "What stories make me happy?" Right, and we started talking about um, JMS's ASM, and I I hit a point where like, and I swear this is on topic. I, I hit a point where like it turns out what I love about J. Michael Straczynski's Amazing Spider Man actually doesn't last that long uh it turns out what i love is about 30 issues of this 75 issue run and after that it's still about cool stuff but it's not my book anymore and that's when i like i started to do all of this composite homework right about how like uh, Aranya and Amazing Fantasy uh, is spun out of Amazing Spider-Man. They kind of never mention it, but like things happen in that that then come up in Amazing Spider-Man. Like they were farming the ideas out, and I realized the golden age of that moment, that fucking moment of um, New X-Men, which started just after JMS, um, JMS's run. Even in some ways, uh, the sort of magic of Bendis on Daredevil. That moment, that perfection, by the time it's realized, it's garbage. And that's actually the same thing I say about Vertigo all the time. The high moment of Vertigo is 1992. But of course, Vertigo doesn't exist proper until 1993, 1994. So I think what I'm trying to say is I looked to the past and saw that no matter what Marvel is going to send my way in these next couple of months with the fall of X and rebooting Daredevil, whatever, um, I'm excited for the run. I'm excited for the writer. I'm excited for the artist. I just don't. I, we need to start doing six months between titles, man. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm coming to realize the cyclical nature of things. Not like in an Ouroboros will never break the cycle kind of way, but there's modus. Ah, oh, Tim Burnham, coolest guy. Um, you know, there's modus. You, Tim. There's there's kind of a flow and an ebb. And I'm I'm really excited to talk about all of this. I am too. Uh, I'm particularly excited to talk about Daredevil. Um, also, uh, of course, I think like while we were getting ready, we got uh, another X announcement, starting with uh, Wolverine Forty One. We're doing Sabretooth War. Who's it by? I assume Percy. Percy's not coming off that book until the book ends. it's fine it's good you know no it's not fine because a black man was writing that as a a statement on the treatment of people of color and if it's about to be a white guy stabbing him a bunch of times i don't know what i'm gonna do with that i could see i don't i don't know hold on i'm gonna look this up right now uh i don't know if it's just Sabretooth appearing in wolverine uh or if we're gonna because i think we're still getting uh that yeah, yep. It's it's uh we're doing Wolverine by Percy and Laval's second or third Sabretooth series. So there the the five issues of Wolverine and the five issues of whatever the Sabretooth uh story is going to be will will comprise the Sabretooth war. But Laval is in the mix. Okay. That so, softens yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Um <clears throat> you know, it's a uh... Okay, you know what? Let's let's click onto some DD for a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have not read Daredevil fourteen, uh, now's not your moment. So uh, if you haven't read Daredevil thirteen either, now is not your like. If you're not done with this run, we're talking about the end of the run. So 
uh, go, you know, it's everything post Devil's Reign is 14 issues, so you can read it quick and come on back and get in on this conversation. You know, for me, the hard part about this particular run is that everything up it's this is exactly what I was saying about JMS's run where like yeah. what I love about um ah Talir Agron hey what's up ah so many never late in this room never late um for me when you talk about like an amazing run and you think about like where it, it switches over like just talk about new x-men for one second um it's kind of everything up to right at xavier's and then there's that click over where it's murder at the mansion through planet x and that's all like literally like three days into a week into you know it's a, it's a moment yeah. devil's reign for me might as well be the end of the zadarsky run um it's such a great moment to go out on this magical mystical super thing um it kind of feels divorced and uh, i really did love the ending that the ending is that if matt comes to realize the thing that he thought he was fighting for isn't god um you know and he's given this chance to be reborn and he's reborn in this holy form he's reborn pure of sin and he's reborn um in a form that is meant to be resistant to temptation and then the first time he's given an opportunity he takes violence but he sacrifices his own purity for the sake of someone else. And that it's metaphored by him walking down a dark alley. He has to engage with the darkness. He has to choose to go there. And the thing is that it's fascinating is that it's not the sin of the flesh that tempts him. It's not his beautiful wife, Electra, the most perfect woman ever. It's the temptation of what they share. Because she's not perfect because she's perfect. She's not an object to him. They share a darkness. She can't be, he can't be with her until he's engaged that darkness. And I think without necessarily saying I wouldn't have done those last 14 issues, because I love them, I believe they function a little more like, and I know they were right on the heels of it, so I, I know that this is wrong. But they're a little bit more like Endless Nights and Overture to me. Sandman can really end at 75, and you can feel good about that. But if you want to keep going, there's Endless Nights, there's Overture, there's so many amazing things. And the Zadarsky run has such a, a value for covering every side of the Daredevil universe. The problem is this side of the Daredevil universe, the dark magic, the dying, the life, that balance... It's the side that you automatically know has to be undone the next issue. So it just makes it a really hard buy-in. I don't even know that I would say it all has to be undone. We're definitely getting some big undonery. Uh, that's definitely a part of all this. Because we are returning to a Hell's Kitchen status quo. Um, that was the word I was going to use, though. There is such a status quo, though. Yeah. And I just want to take a take a second to read Tim Burnham's comment. Interesting take, Nico. I felt like Devil's Reign was a good end of Fisk's portion of the story, but feels like only the end of the second act as far as Matt's story goes. And that's actually kind of what I was about to say, particularly the Fisk thing. Uh, Devil's Reign is hugely about Fisk sailing literally off into the sunset, which is like such a great moment. Fisk and Mary committing themselves to a life together and sailing away only to arrive on Krakoa, which you done goofed. But um, 
I felt like. <laughs> oh my god! Can you just imagine being so sorry? But just, can you imagine being Fisk and being like, "I have decided to move into a new market, Mary. We're going to corner the mutant market." And she's like, "Hot, hot. My pussy's always on fire." Okay. Quite and literally. They get, yeah, and then they get out there, and he's like, "Yes, I will make this my home." Let's get and then, new outfits. And then the first thing he does is he throws a party, or he joins a party planning committee. I guess. Yeah, he's definitely just on the party planning committee. And um, it they catches get in on a couple fire. of great dances. They're having a blast. I don't know. Wilson is the greatest villain in the history of the Marvel universe, and like have, everybody else is secondary. Have we already said on air Alaska for Typhoid Mary? Because I feel like that is just what the Typhoid Mary is you guys are doing now. You literally said party. So, um, Well, that party is a door. Uh, who... Okay. I'm one of her personalities. I'm the sloppy one. Hey, guys, I'm a door. I, I feel like... Um... She doesn't know my name either. It's fine. <laughs> I'm trying to think because, like, you know, anybody can put a fantastic Mary wig on. But, like, I see the body of Mary being maybe Sasha Colby. And then whenever she switches personalities, it's a voiceover. Um, I think that I think I, of, that. I, I think a DID character, like, with superpowers involved, not a real-life mental health thing, uh, with different voiceovers to do the other personalities is a thing we haven't seen yet that I think would be really fun. Setting that aside, um, the only thing is Zdarsky's run up through devil's reign does feel very complete for the version of what's going on in new york at that time all tied up with devil's reign uh with the strom winds being maybe the next step which is God, as i, I was... love a good i love a good eye gouge it just it turns me on so much kill somebody with a car door gouge their eye out just do something wilson would do um you got villainy the, on your hands, baby. If it turns on Mary, it probably turns me on. Um, it's really not till Devil's Reign that we really start highlighting that there is prophecy in the mix and that part of the reason Elektra has come around, part of the reason that we're meeting Akka, part of the reason that Frank shows, all of the reason that Frank shows up is because there is, in fact, a greater, more mystical thing going on here. So there's a very real way in which if you ran Zdarsky's Daredevil and just entirely extracted the mystical elements, it could end at Devil's Reign. And honestly, it you know, it could have left off with the Stromwinds as the next level because the Stromwinds throughout the whole thing, you know, at certain points they do kind of emasculate Wilson, even though he comes back from it and in his own way he does have this moment where somebody makes him feel small again and it is made very clear that these people are um you know we've talked about the financial or the financier supreme uh in the past and these people feel like you know if wilson has that power of like finance as a superpower or a super villainy power uh the stromwinds are sort of the dormammu like it's next level it's really deep kind of esoteric finance and they're going to be a really even bigger villain. And I feel like there was an entire thing there that could have worked. Uh, but instead we did go the route of a hand of the beast, fit to the beast, beast fist, fist beast, uh, prophecy, all bring it to a head. And that was okay with me when we started devil's reign. 
And that was okay with me when we started the next part of the Zdarsky run. Where it stopped getting super okay with me was when we got the announcement that uh, this was wrapping up at 14. Uh, that what is it with saying, oh, it's five acts, and then being like, act three and a half, you're good. Yeah, like, I've never, there's never been a play where they're like, the first act is 20 minutes. Hamlet ends when they find the ghost. Minutes. The third act is 30 minutes. The fourth and fifth acts are five minutes total, but it's five acts. Just trust us on this. I love that we've chosen this image. This is uh, comic book pornography. And I uh, fully support it. Uh, Tim, also, we're going to have like a Daredevil goodbye episode. So please don't think this is your chance to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, Tori Sheehan. I mean, like, this is going to sound so funny because I'm sure he would laugh if he heard this. But, like, I would book Colgit. Like, uh, uh, the way he books writers, I would book him. Uh, but I can't wait to say goodbye to this run of Daredevil. Um, and I, I agree. You know, TK, something I want to say is that you made me a better Daredevil fan. Um daredevil you know it's so funny to talk about because like you know now i'm like i'm a buff guy and i'm so capable and you know make fun of me you know because it's funny but one of the things that uh, occurs to me is as a kid who had glasses at four years old who was in and out of the hospital with his heart and uh, breathing and you know being born dead and all sorts of medical stuff uh, I connected to Daredevil because he had a disability that made me feel like my disability was like not a disability, but just a factor in um, my body composite, not who I am. Right. And uh, I fell in love with Electra like the day I read her. It was in one of my first Daredevil comics. She was just perfect. But, you know, Typhoid Mary, you know, the end of Senti runs a little tougher sometimes. I just didn't understand her. I knew her in like a trading card way, but that's not the same thing as truly understanding Mary. So one of the things that was amazing was the way I am like, like gouge my eyes out, eyes out like a Stromwin about um, Electra. Seeing you become your own kind of fan of Mary, seeing you fall in love with Mary in your own way, the way that Kevo, not to pigeonhole you with a, a, a daredevil girl, but your love of Karen Page on the show, watching you react to her every week, you yeah. know, that's that's what it's about. Because it wasn't because of True Blood, so. Oh, right? I love Deborah Ann Wall on True Blood. I love Deborah Ann Wall Eventually. on anything she wants. That woman is I need so her unbelievably talented. Yeah. Unbelievable. I want to see her on a sitcom. So, TK, anyway. you know, you got literally your wish. I literally remember you saying, what I really want is I want Mary and Wilson showing up in Krakoa. I did say did. that. I feel like that was very, uh, that was not like me pitching a great idea. That was like the only logical thing that could happen next. I mean, literally, they are Mary and Wilson, like Mary Wilson from the Supremes. Like, it was just going to happen. There was nowhere to go but up. Um, I also want to say that I feel like part of my love for Mary is that she's very Jewish coded. This is the truest thing that anyone's ever said in the entire world. Karen and the DD show is infinitely better than Karen in the comics. Just saying yeah, this is the truest course. statement ever made. Ever, ever, ever. Okay, and now... Uh, Frank to... Miller, thank you for planting that seed. <laughs> yeah. Um, fucking right off. I think it, it, it developed in two different directions, and the one that you harvested was gross and horrible, but the other one, uh, you know, eventually led us to Deborah Ann Wall, and I think, you know... Um, Hey, shout out to Karen Page for getting a little cameo at the uh, end of the Daredevil. 
a horrible cameo. Uh, Karen Page. Hey, it's like that. Uh, it's that. It's the end of Dare. As the end of Desperate Housewives. My favorite scene in the entire world is they drive down the street and they see all of the specters in white as they right. look on. Yep. Greatest um, moment in the show. Karen Page is almost definitely gonna have like a Spider Gwen uh, multiversal Karen Pages thing happen. Karen Devil is my oh my god, Marvel call me Karen Devil. She's a Latina. She is uh, Terry Bloss and I are gonna launch this right. TK, he's he's co-writing with me. Kevin, you're coloring. This book yeah. is happening. Um, I so anyway, I mean, like one day, nobody. I think only Uncle Ben can stay dead. I don't think Karen Page even can stay dead. We're about uh, to read a, a run where Uncle Ben does not stay dead. Exactly. So. Uh, and, you know, we've also got really hot multiversal Uncle Ben with his nephew, who uh, their oh. spider uh, father figure and son God, together. Yeah. Coach, put me in. Me, that Uncle Ben, Ezekiel, Morlin, that's a party. Right in the sayuncle.com. <laughs> So, I mean, like, Karen Page, I feel like she can come back, uh, and... <laughs> this guy gets me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, to take it all the way back, uh, I just... While I definitely got so much out of this run, this is, like, my Daredevil run. It's how I got into Daredevil. It's how I understood so much about Daredevil, uh, you know, this is laid all of my groundwork so I can go back and read other Daredevil stuff. But like, this is now where it all comes from for me. Uh, and by this, I mean everything up to Devil's Reign. And then here, I'm a little stuck. Um, not in it sucks because it's not in a bad way. And like, I don't want to say anything bad about Chip Zdarsky other than uh, if he pitched to them, hey, I only need to do this in 14 issues, uh, I would say. I think you maybe needed a few more, my friend. Proud of your economy of page space. But Truly, uh... I feel like, uh, but if it is that Marvel was like, and I need you done in 14 issues, then I feel he was underserved. And that's the worst thing I can say is that 14 issues was not enough. Um, mm -hmm. It even was almost close to enough. Like, uh, I, 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 maybe even two more could have done it. 18, 20. Uh, ultimately, I would have liked 32 to wrap up. Um, I would have liked to, because this is so mystical. And this is, um, you know, we've got gods coming up. This is the Lords of Hell, and these are new ones. We just wrapped up a Mephisto run. We've had the Beast showing up in Wolverine. We now uh, introduce his sister, the Wild. So now we have a pantheon in a hell where we've also got Limbo doing hell stuff. So there's a lot going on here. And there are these moments where I'm like, Marvel, you wrote all of this. Why is nobody talking to each other to tie it together? Well, and if because I... Marvel ahead. didn't, Marvel's not a thing. Marvel is just a banner for a company. Right. These people individually write these things. And like, it's. <sighs> Right, exactly. Um, but it's just a bummer because there's a lot of work that could be very easily connected. Just to say, like, hey, there is a cosmology to our world and we see it and we recognize it. And we're not going to tell you everything because that's it's not about that. But we are going to tell you, um, you know, the beast as seen in Wolverine is very important to this guy you see here. The gods that are showing up in this new Hickman run 
are in some way in connection to these lords of hell that we see here. And I just think that takes more than 14 issues. So it all comes up like this. The sister is literally just introduced in issue 13 and she's like, surprise, it was me the whole time. Well, and I, you know, I'm going to just because we've got some amazing people hanging out in our lobby. I'm going to move us along in a minute, but I actually want to comment on that. I'm going to do my homework and I'm going to look back and I'm going to see how many references there are to the nature of the wild to uh, the sister to uh, the other one. Um, I do not think there are a lot. Oh, uh, no, I mean through the history of canon. Yeah, no, I I don't think there are a lot because I never would have thought there were references to Judy in Twin Peaks. And if you look back, there is a crazy number of references going back to the original series about judy there are references in jms's asm that he will not bring up for 30 issues but you know who judy was supposed to be right no josie packard's sister josie packard's twin sister like it was not supposed to be uh the heart of human abomination but don't don't get me wrong it's fine but Um, i mean that's the magic of killer bob like that's it was never meant to be killer bob exactly i think that's i i got that was what you were getting at like what i I definitely get that i just think it's a little tougher here but i'm gonna do the i have not like in a having read like eight nine hundred issues of daredevil yeah i i feel like there's so much i've forgotten so I'm I'm more like not like I've read I know I'm more like I have read that so much that I have completely forgotten that I'm willing to believe it's in the vast amount that I've forgotten. <laughs> but I want to comment on something you said about gods. But there's before we can talk about gods, we have to bring somebody in because uh, if we're gonna talk magic theology and uh, eternal fabulous hair, uh, we have to talk uh, about Jake Jake of X one of the most amazing contributors we have on this show. So, uh, Jake, I would love to bring you on into our wonderful band of Merry Mutants. Good to to go. To not just talk about Daredevil, but to talk about, uh, like, the bigger picture of kind of what we're getting at. So I think we got a thumbs up. So uh, let's uh, bring Jake on in. Double thumb. Hey, Jake. Double thumbs. I just want to say, is that a green screen? Because it looks really sharp. Yes. It looks very sharp today, sir. I just wanted to no, say. No, they're really well, on for color. Well, it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's the X-Men bit. That's what really sharpens the whole thing. And it definitely wasn't ordered for somebody else. Yeah. So, and it's well, definitely working properly. Now, I want to say, you know, I'm so excited that you're here for this part of the conversation. Because something that I think is really important to consider is the human need for the myth arc. Right. Something that is really hard for us to talk about as fans of things is we're always a little bit more fans of something else than uh, like there's always a balance. Like you cannot literally be the most extreme number one fan of everything. Right. Something that uh, was really funny when TK and I first became friends, he was like, you literally cannot love everything you love as much as you fucking love it. And then like he came to find out. I am that. Yes, ridiculous. you absolutely can. One can do that. Yeah. Um, but like one of the but things should is- one. But it actually means things like I have to pick. Is it Krakoa or is it the Beast? Because Krakoa and the Beast cannot both be the origin. Human life cannot have come from celestial like celestial virus 
as it stated in uh, both EarthX and Jason Aaron's Avengers, and have come from a mystical gift, the way it's stated in some magical titles. And I think that's a little bit what we're seeing with the nature of what's going on in X-Men. We were given an origin myth. And in our lifetime, have we seen a new religion literally come into existence in a way that is an origin myth? Have we, you know, the true purpose of all mutants is Krakoa and Arako. How do you feel about the nature of the shifting need of origin myth and the fact that John Hickman, the guy who came and did this for X-Men, is now coming back and doing it for the greater Marvel Universe in a way that seems to supersede anybody else's desire to craft that kind of narrative? Well, I think with X-Men, it's kind of a, for me, it's a special case because since the story is so tied to this expression of a marginalized culture kind of trying to organize and trying to, um, you know, build their power, like collectively build their power as a a community, um, creating a mythos, creating a common cultural mythology makes a lot of sense. Um, We kind of saw it in the beginning of the Krakoan era when Exodus was talking about the Scarlet Witches, the Pretender. I was like, oh, I like how they're capitalizing that. They're really kind of developing the narrative of the Krakoan myth. Um, and showing like the adversaries and the like the, the the heroes of it, and they've got their their messianic savior um, in in hope and in the five. They even um, have a promised land that multiple people are claiming dominion over, a former form of their promised land, with Krakoa Arako originally being Okara. I got there. Oh my god! I was like, no, it's not Oprah. It's not Okra. Get there. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, tying into everything you're saying, I mean, I just I think that um, so so that it always makes sense to me when a community needs to kind of reify itself, who needs to kind of like really like remind itself of its power, that they would dig into their 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 mythic structure and really like tie to. I mean, that's that's something we see in the real world too. That's why people get very zealous um, when when things seem chaotic. They they cling cling to their symbolic systems because there's a measure of security and feeling like those systems will come in and like give you guidance. I mean, Um, people pray to Apple, not because like they're silly, but because they need some sort of structure in a world that makes no sense. And we invented, sorry, but we invented gods before, um, you know, we had technology and now we need new gods and people kind of see Steve jobs, you know? Oh, Lord help us. Um, <laughs> I mean, if that's if that's who people are looking to, my goodness, we could do better. Um, but I, yeah, I so I I, I like the project. I like, um, and I, I've always appreciated the way Hickman really gets to. He doesn't treat these characters as people all the time. He treats he likes to treat them as like uh, complex symbols with kind of a a, a person painted on top of it. Um, and and even like I think even his treatment of the Summers family, like he's he's exploring family dynamics less than he's exploring like the Summerses themselves. Um, so he's looking at a family myth and he's playing with those elements. Um, I think he's really good at do, did it in Fantastic Four. He did it in the Avengers. Really great at, at kind of getting to the core of what are the dynamics of this story uh, and how is you know how do they how do these dynamics resonate with people on a really fundamental level? Were you a Shield reader? Oh, I read all of it, yeah. 
holy shit. So this is not how the world ends was like, yeah. I had this really hard thing in my heart for a minute. I didn't believe the world was really ending, but I sort of believe in magical shift in reality. And I believe to some extent, if enough people believed that the 2012 apocalypse would occur, we simply would come out of it different mm -hmm. just for the fear of that moment. And I had two things playing in my head that made me like survive. Yeah. And it was a combination of John Hickman's certainty. This is not how the world ends. Um, and Tori Amos's bells for her. You just can't stop what's coming. Not even you. So like there was just sort of like a sense of like found religion in these things that represented my status as a marginalized person, a comic nerd and kind of like a music faggot. You know what I mean? So like I, I really resonate with what you're saying, coming back to the central theme of a marginalized people representing a found culture and that found cultures ultimately gravitate towards some sort of myth arc to have community yeah i mean it's something i've been thinking a lot about because i've been reading a lot about the early days of the formation of the gay community in the 20th century and it's it's not really dissimilar you know there was no sense of gay people as a community or as a culture or as a marginalized group it was just you, we were we were sicko heteros until some people some some gay organizers got together and said no we're a we're a group of like we're a group of people. We're members of this population. We have our own cultures and our own ways of speaking and our own ways of interacting and viewing the world. Let's get together around that and build our power. It's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's very. I see. I see a lot of similarity between that moment and the start of the Krakoan era. Now, I want to. I want to pull back that a little bit because I that moment what you just said is so universal to me, Kevo. I got to witness what felt to me like, I don't know, like I think about things like I remember the first time I saw erotica and like actually thought to myself, can you can you actually record a song while touching yourself? Because I do that all the time. Like, I remember. Perfect. perfect uh, you know, I remember thinking this is a revolution. This is a revolution by one woman. You know, Kevo, something I think that had that same reaction for me, good or bad, and whether or not people loved it was I actually thought The Timeless Child was one woman's revolution. It was saying that Jodie Whittaker is such a statement that if you believe she's the only female doctor, you've missed the point. And okay. I want to ask you what it means as a fan, staring in at your husband, your best friend and partner's favorite, you know, favorite toy box, constantly revising the nature of originism and how that relates to your own fandoms. Well, and I think we can even expand that to, to the broader floor and to something we've been talking about a lot on this program lately, which is Star Trek, which uh, they're they're doing a lot of things with that franchise as well, where, um, you know, a lot of these things were created in the 60s. E even the stuff we are talking about directly on this program, a lot of this stuff was created in the 60s and the 60s had very different sensibilities, even for being progressive. And so now it is 60 years later and we kind of need to start evolving our past if we want to keep carrying it with us. And we kind of need to learn to be okay with that to a degree. We can love a lot of things that we uh, got uh, from those times, but we kind of do need to learn how to adapt. And, you know, that is sort of how I feel about The Timeless Child. I feel like, you know, there's... You know, it, it's a brand that does need to evolve. And Doctor Who especially 
is one that has been afraid to evolve. Uh, and it's a, a lot of the stuff has worked out for, for a really long time. But once you get to 60 years, you know, you really need to push yourself. And I I'm saw 37 and I'm exhausted. Yeah. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Um, and, you know, I saw the Timeless Child as pushing in a direction that stayed true a lot to the show. And I think that is what is most important about these things is making sure you are staying true to the important things about these stories that we love. And I want to take that a step further. And uh, the same way I stayed at the Empress prom night, we're going to bring it on home with exactly what I'm expecting. And TK, what I want to ask you then is the thing that is so central to this identity is the fact that the X-Men continue to skirt the idea that creationism is inherently religion. They discuss the need to create a constructed religion through the ideas of Way of X and the Spark through Nightcrawler, who would then become a demon as a response to the idea of creating religion. I think something that predominates the idea of the Hickman era is an idea of the structure of reality dictates how we behave. But something that seems to dictate the rules in the Duggan era is chaos is glorious. And I don't mean that as a disrespect to Jerry Duggan, who is just a very different kind of writer. But something that strikes me is I can't imagine John Hickman without 200 marble notebooks, those composition notebooks that I love so much, and, you know, in every color, and there's a special color for every topic. But I think Jerry Duggan, I sort of think his is a little bit more like a murder board with, like, all of the post-its and all of the the, the wires going. Yarn, exactly. yeah. Uh, Pepe Sylvia! So, um... My question for you, TK, <laughs> is what is the nature of chaos versus order when it comes to the same topic? Creationism, originism, Krakoa is the source of all mutancy, it would seem, to some extent. Yet different eras of this era, like sub-eras, the way we said that New X-Men splits in half, the way we said JSM's ASM splits in half. How does it feel for you as somebody who came with your own creationism rules watching this happen? Mm. You are muted, but so handsome. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm coughing a lot, so I'm trying not to do it. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think talking about like uh, the Hickman era versus the Duggan era. And the Duggan era also happens to be the Gillen Ewing Spurrier era. Um, Hickman, oh man, he really creates a lot of. Wow, no Percy. Interesting. Percy's tough, man. Uh, uh, Percy is, I. you know how much I love him. Uh, but how much he's... we both gay for his ghostwriter. Truly, uh, he is writing like. Oh my God, we're flamers. I think it would be flame heads, but I like Boy. it. Um, he's writing in like a whole other part of the building. Hickman lays down this foundation and watching him do it is really fascinating. But I definitely get that for some people, it's a lot of uh, mythopoeic stuff in a way that is not standard storytelling form. 
and is a lot more artistic and painterly and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is not what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Hickman uh, or Duggan is a really hardcore story writer. Mm. He really lives by things like plot and understanding that uh, conflict is a central part of all stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I maybe feel as though... Um, while that is true and you can't ever lose that in a way that leaves you drowning if you go so hard on there always must be conflict you do wind up in a zone that we are currently in where you say um you know we knocked down a building and it was really conflicted so now we have to destroy all of new york because what do you do after you've knocked down all the buildings building? have to go right everything's got to go uh, <laughs> and i think you know if it's called sex in the city uh i maybe don't think knocking down the entire city uh is what i showed up for but I get the instinct. I really get how you're saying, you know, the conflict was this size and I'm ready to take it to the next level. Um, I, to go back to your question, I think there are a lot of ways that this can pull on the threads of the mythic understanding of who the X-Men are and the mythic, uh, sort of tales the kind of folk tales of the x-men that especially we saw in writers like ewing and spurrier and gillen um i just think this culmination for me is in a bit of a weird zone uh but again like i if i can say that i don't super love that we are in the fall of x and i don't super love what the fall of x is and represents i will say each of the books that has started fall of x is great for an era that i would prefer not to be in it's a weird thing to sort of suss out and i think a lot of us felt this way about the decimation we would rather not live in an era where the x-men are an endangered species because that kind of kills uh minority metaphor minorities are not just a hundred people on the run um but man some incredible stories written during the decimation era some of the best writers of all time in comics writing during the decimation era some incredible character growth during the decimation era and i just feel like here's another place where i'm like i maybe think this is supposed to be other stuff but wow like uh tough to read the last uncanny avengers run so this is real refreshing in comparison it's a great example now can i, I i'm gonna change the topic but yeah. it's exactly on topic it's uh and you opened up exactly what i was looking for and i can't think of any better crew to talk about it this you know this particular element but like there are only so many certainties in storytelling, right? Like I love to teach, uh, you know, when I'm in a classroom, I love to teach that the first modern romance is uh, this book called uh, The Modern Prometheus. It's about a guy who comes to town and hangs out with this creepy scientist he's friends with. And um, he falls in love with this woman and he really wants to be with her, but everybody in the town kind of rejects him. Uh, but ultimately he and she leave together. And I'm, of course, talking about Frankenstein, which is- Oh, I thought you were first- talking about Back to the Future. Oh, no, same. Uh, But Frankenstein is the first modern romance because it really is like guy wants girl, guy gets girl, guy leaves, guy and girl get together. And the definition of a romance is will they or won't they? Once they're together, it's a slice of life story or a marriage story. Trope matters, right? 
one of the only certainties in all of trope is death. And minorities have a unique relationship with death. We understand that death is an inevitability in the course of reality. Everything has an expiration, whether it's a block of cheese, it's a human being, or it's a block of wood. Everything will eventually come to carbon. And I think part of what frustrates us in the nature of something like the fall of X is minorities grapple with the notion of death every day. And yet here it's being treated as a device. It's a certainty, not a device. And using death as a weapon is, in many ways, the same mentality that kind of predominates bullying. Because this isn't about the idea of natural death. This isn't people come to the end of their life. This is gleeful execution of a minority status. And that's a very different creature. I think when we talk about creationism in these stories, we also need to talk about finalism and the end that is reached. In an era that deals with the identity of creationism for the mutant people, are we really being served by stories that treat death as a plot device? It really reduces its power, I feel. I think that's what you're getting at. I think death is a very powerful thing, and I think there are ways in which you can wield it that sort of undermine the extremity of it, especially in an era with uh, Krakoan resurrection, where we already feel such a way about death. Uh, it's just further sort of chipping away at the reality of a very real thing. It's not just a trope. It's, it's a reality that any living being faces, and as you say, it's one that especially minority groups uh, have, a, have an extremely heightened sense of in a lot of ways. So I really see where you're coming from. But, but on the other hand, on the other hand, um, this, is, this is an interesting experiment by taking death off the table for a while you know, by saying this is not something that these people are going to have to deal with. They're like, they're given a new kind of liberation from a fear that they have, like a, the yoke of fear they've been living under on the one hand. <clears throat> and I also think that as a, as a philosophical experiment, getting to play with a community that has a different relationship to death and how that changes the sort of humanistic values that live at the core of this community, like... That was what Way of X was all about. Nightcrawler saying, if we go down this road, death becomes completely trivial. We need an I, ethical system to frame I just want to say, I agree with you completely so much. I completely forgot to say, I meant that just the Hellfire Gala Volume 3, where they murdered everybody for funsies, is the questionable part. I'm complete, Everything I'm, you're saying is totally where I, my brain is at. And I even have something to build on that as well. So yeah, I, I also agree. But I also, you know, we're talking about mythic arcs and we're talking about X-Men. You know, the this is a 60-year story that, that operates in cycles. And the cycle is, you know, they're hidden, they start to come out, they're seen as illegal and, you know, criminal. They show themselves up as heroes. They're okay for a while. And then great sacrifice and great pushback from humanity. You know, whether it's the Mutant Registration Act, Operation Zero Tolerance, Whatever Orcus is up to now, there, you know, we've seen multiple eras where the X-Men have been, you know, outlaws, uh, on top, uh, pushed back against culturally and socially. And this is like, this is just the swing of it now. This is, this is what it looks like, you know, through the lens of 
you know, the modern vocabulary of marginalization and depression and trauma. And the only, the thing that I take most pause, the thing that I regret personally is that we didn't get a little more joy out of it. I thought the first couple Mm. of years were very joyful, but, you know, I'm a very tired, almost 38-year-old queer person, and I would like a little more more joy, a little more like the marginalized get to celebrate their victories. Um, And I, I definitely agree with the critique that it was... The fact that it was taken away from us by a, no offense, Jerry, a cis uh, heterosexual guy, white white guy, really, it it does, it rubs me wrong. And, you know, I I felt like um, we were seeing a lot of great ways to do conflict that were Mm -hmm. still very celebratory of the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Because how many of us live in one of the best times of our lives, you know, where work is great. Our friend group is great. And yet, you know, somebody, a a close family member still passes away. Uh, You know, a pipe freezes, whatever the hell the situation is, um, you know, and, and these are comics. So we're always dealing with a ton of conflict. There's always villains we got. And we got such a great rogues gallery. We got horticulture. We got Dr. Stasis before we knew exactly who it was. Uh, You know, we did X of swords. We, uh, there was so much happening and I just, for me, this, and I, again, like I know Jerry Duggan really goes for the conflict. And I know that the response from a lot of people has been, didn't you see uh, Empire Strikes Back? Yes, I did. And I get that this is not being like, and the X-Men were never happy again. And <laughs> we there's no possibility that we can ever revisit Krakoa as it was. And this will always just be bad. I'm not saying that that's what we got out of this. I'm just saying that um, even Hickman himself, when this started showed us that we could do conflict and still do uninhibited joyous celebration uh and maybe even give the vast number of you know uh people of color queer trans uh non-binary other people disabled people the number of people that see themselves represented in the mutant metaphor give them an era of unbridled joy and exploration of mystery and conflict that comes from sides we've never seen but in ways that we relate to rather than just the standard of Uh, everybody hates you and they're going to kill you and you have nowhere you can go and feel safe. Yeah. 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 I mean, imagine, imagine a corner of the Marvel universe that is like, we resist, we resist the violent conflict, you know, obviously comics and comics violence is is all, all violence is symbolic of the conflict, but like, you know, yeah. I mean, it would, it would be such a fun experiment to see like, to, to get to see Krakoa actually build, to get to yeah. write the geopolitical project, to see it, like, not just be about controversy and mutants, like, you know, taking too much, you know, getting getting slapped down for it. It's like And to the geopolitical project idea, I, you know, you and I, Jake, talked a lot when this was coming up, and I, you 
predicted exactly what was going to happen and what did happen. And I said, like, honey, I think you're wrong I because that's too far. I don't think they're going to do that. I think what it is is that uh, the Quiet Council will be deposed and people like Shaw, like Maddie, who can be a little bit villainous, some other mutants that are considered villains will become the new Quiet Council and people will essentially say, X-Men, you guys aren't everything. You guys are not just the moral arbiters because you say you are, and you don't therefore get to lead us politically just because you've always thought of yourselves as the good guys. Everybody in our island nation has voted Sebastian Shaw and you know maybe <laughs> Mikhail and all these people who have been mutant villains onto a new quiet council and X-Men you can stay on Krakoa if you want because you are mutants but you don't get to decide what we do in this world and I actually thought that was pretty huge conflict just, but I didn't you need know, Trump in my comic well, but, that's, but that's, the thing. that's the thing that's that is what this is this is this is like we're this is the Obama years and suddenly we elected Trump that's what this Hellfire Gala was it was the smashing of queer rights it was the smashing Great. Of you guys literally found a story rights. from the most unavoidable story in the entire world congratulations your creativity shines but you know, there is this, there is an important story of resistance to be told, and that's not wrong. You know, we, we as a, you know, as a community of people who are fucking, who are sane, um, are really, you know, have been holding resistance against this culture of, you know, this encroaching culture of fascism, you know, anti-queer, anti-trans, anti-any people of color, you know, our coalitions are very imperfect, but at least we're, we're pushing and I think that I'm okay to see stories that are trying to tell, talk about that. And to that end, I do, think, I do think that what we've seen over the past two or three weeks with Uncanny Avengers, uh, uh, Uncanny Avengers is really the flagship idea of like, this is a very anti-fascist. Steve Rogers says Orcus is bad. Steve Rogers is like the, you know, cishet, white face of the resistance the jerry duggan blonde haired blue eyes yeah but you know he's he's hanging out underground with tony who is marrying from sewer smear on um, him they they there's a mutant that can clear that out somehow it's fine now um you know children of the vaults going in a completely other direction <sighs> i i want to jump in and say that one of the things that is frustrating here is the devices we're still using are encouraging of the trope. Yeah. We're being told that because the cishet ally says it's okay, yeah. Yeah. it's okay. Yeah. And that's actually the nature of the problem with something like this. Because um, obviously I've seen the Empire Strikes Back. I have multiple degrees in writing. Please tell me how story writing works. Please. I'm a published author. Please tell me how story writing works. But how about you're not this? the Empire Strikes Back? You're not Back. a minority. And I don't get to tell you how to be a straight person, but you don't get to tell me how to be a queer person. And that's mm. the difference. I'm not here to tell you what storytelling is so you don't need to tell me what storytelling is if i'm telling you that i have an emotional reaction to your story as a minority invalidating me with your degree and your experience actually just invalidates my queer experience 
I am here to share every story, but the nature of the idea that you can talk down to me about I've never seen a movie should carry all of the weight in the world to excuse my review of you not being in line with what you expected is the sort of pedantic childhood action that I literally tell my 16-year-old students to stop because it makes you seem weak. And that was my issue with the whole thing. You can have issue with my criticism. You can have issue with anything you want about what I say. But at the end of the day, if you want to talk down to me about having seen a film, then I'm happy to show you some documentaries about some dead gay kids. And then I can tell you, have you never seen that? What film are you talking about? Uh, the whole, have you seen before. Empire Strikes Back? Oh, There's, okay, okay. The okay. idea of telling me that I should have seen a movie made by Fox in the 1970s who were looking to turn a profit to understand why minorities shouldn't feel devastated by an allegory pulled, as we just said, from the reality of the Trump administration. Don't talk down to me about being a queer person because I'm not here to talk down to you about being a writer. I gave you a criticism, not talked down to you. But by all means, remind me that there's third act structures. Well, and that's always something about this, too, where like this isn't an indie. This isn't you published this yourself. This is a company product and people are allowed to express uh, dissatisfaction. I think the key words are always constructive criticism. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's about not just flying off the handle about it, but, you know, if you have real legitimate concerns and things that upset you about the products that you're being delivered, you know, that's the whole point of, of the strike and everything going on right now is trying to make sure that everyone is across the board getting what they are entitled to. And, you know, if consumers are unhappy about very dramatic directions of storytelling it's it's weird to tell them to shut up and that is kind of a repeated criticism that we see from uh some artists on the trope front one of my favorite slash kind of like uh, why tropes of this era is what's happened to shadow cat with a k um because while i love i love the revenge fantasy of it all i also am like really I, it's it's not very hard to read the like jewish nazi hunter vibe of it the like go, you know the, the the like we've done this with magneto we've done this in a lot of like exploitation films um it's, is jerry duggan jewish is i of the chosen people did he give us the everything bagel if then if not then i don't need him quentin tarantino and glorious bastards well i mean like it's 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 to me it's less like is he jewish because you know Lots of people tell lots of different kinds of stories. To me, it's like, what are you doing that's a different spin on this? Like, how are you taking this and making it Shadowcats and not just making this a, like, Nazi hunter revenge fantasy? Like, I'm a I'm an angry, I'm an angry Jewish person trying to, like, get revenge for my people. Um, which, yeah, great. Mutants. Love it. And, and Kate is one of the best people to do it. Uh, she's got a great power set for it, and I love her. Um, but it, it is a trope. Um and I don't see anything, I don't see anything new about it. And, and I, I also think, like, always going into the, like, did you know that Shadowcat has been brainwashed by a Japanese ninja, a ninja demon person? And so, therefore, she is technically a ninja. It's like, 
I thought that we were trying to move away from some of those things. Yeah. Like she could be, she could be trained in the martial arts, and she's got great infiltration skills. I was going to say Ogun we didn't need her, her to go get the Ogun oh. sword. Guys, you really she just know Krav Maga, right? Or just Logan trained her. Logan yeah. trained her to be awesome because that's that's what he does. He trains uh, he trains teenage girls to be awesome fighters and infiltrators. Yeah. It's a Jubilee who just is awesome already. Wait, so are you it's saying like that the... Wolverine is the Canadian Red Room? Yes. But he doesn't, doesn't sterilize them. It's like that thing where there are certain phrases for the approximation of spirit animal that are not actually the phrase spirit animal, right. where you could use a generic, like, human oh, weapon. Shaman is my big word for that. Yeah, there's so, like, human weapon instead of ninja. There are phrases that don't yes. actually belong to cultures yes. where you could you yes. could be using these instead. Yes, 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 yes. And I mean, even without like a, a classification, just the idea that she goes off on her own and is super powerful and does this, I think like, uh, I mean, it's so tough because like then, you know, Peach Momoko gave us the character design yeah. and, you know, so I love Peach Momoko and I want to support her, but like, is it weird that Marvel was like, Peach Momoko, would you like to make Kitty Pride a ninja? It feels very uh, I want to be ninja meme. It's just, there's no winning here. We're in this constant war of always loving these creators and loving the characters and being crushed by capitalism. And, you know, uh, the white man do be bringing us down. We're all just trying our best to, like, uh, figure out how to love all this stuff. And, you know, and then, like, meanwhile, we do have Steve Rogers being like, no, you guys are all right by me. And also Alpha Flight. Like, it's important what is that, going on there? It's important that Vindicator be in the mix in a very Steve Rogers-esque role telling the minorities again. And also the Owl Lady. Uh, she is important, too. Uh, but really, as we all know, the most important person in that mix, the only one whose approval I want and also who I would most like to see naked, is Puck. Yeah. Yeah, Puck's a short little buff king. Hard to reconcile this puck with uh, Ewing's uh, Immortal Hulk puck, I think. But, okay, and to that end, number one, I want to bring JoJo in. He's do ready. It. He's good. He's excited. Let's pop do him it, do in. It, do it. Let's bring him in. Number two, I want to comment on that, right? Yeah. And it's a perfect time to bring JoJo in to comment on that. Yeah. What up, Quiet Council? So, JoJo, number one, say, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Where can we find you? What's your name? Uh, hi, you can find me on social media at stuff. Um at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. So And Jake didn't go either, so this is oh, also shit. Jake. Oh, me. I'm me. Hi, I'm <laughs> Jake. And you can find me at The Heart Farmer on Instagram and I guess on Blue Sky now? Yeah, that's where I do those things. Love it. As a reminder, this is us, and uh, let's get to it. So, okay, you're saying that this is hard to rectify with Ewing's uh, puck. And I really, okay, that's a huge part of this. When comics began in 1963, there was no expectation of ever being able to reread some of these stories ever again. In fact, the only way that Marvel has one of every book is in the 1970s. They went out and bought them. They <laughs> found them. They never expected to need to, to read these ever again. So to reprint some of them, they had to buy them. 
And when we talk about some of these characters, you know what? You can't possibly rectify some of these characters with their oldest versions. And that's something that's really interesting about the nature of the X-Men. You know, when people said that Krakoa defeated the whole hated and feared thing, I actually don't think it did. The world hates anything new and different. And even if they celebrate it for one second, we celebrated AI and now we hate it, right? Mm -hmm. um, we we do that. That's what we do. And so, of course, they celebrated mutants. They still hated them. They were just fashion. And so, like, calm down, America. But, you know, the thing that I mean about this all is I don't think hated and feared changed anything. I think for me, what actually changed the heart of the X-Men is I've never felt that there was an unstoppable super science machine bent on only executing all mutants. It always felt like the bad guys in the Marvel Universe, they might have wanted to destroy mutants, but they also wanted to take over the world. They also wanted to become, you know, whatever. No, it really seems to me like this group of people just wants to exterminate mutants. In that way, this actually does feel like a totally different book. X-Men number one is about mutants seeking to be accepted. It is literally now about mutants being hunted by a death squad that is so much more capable in a few people than an entire army of mutants that during one of the most heavily guarded, because we know that the Hellfire Galas are the most heavily guarded moments at the X-Men, the most heavily guarded moment of the X-Men, they were able to execute almost all of them. And that's like insane to me, but it also kind of is about what the Uncanny Avengers is about, I guess. The Avengers were a bunch of people who just came together because Loki's always up to no good. And over the years, the Avengers have come together for different purposes. But the Avengers only ever come together because it's kind of the right thing to do. <clears throat> this Avengers seems to be called together because um extermination guys and i really wonder not like i because you know whether you agree with that assessment or not that's totally cool and please if you don't agree feel free to share that you don't agree but my question is more when something is called avengers it's meant to be a group of people seeking to save the world because they were called together the uncanny avengers have like a specific mission <laughs> like it will end <laughs> like how do you guys feel about books within the context of a thing like alpha flight which is not an x book i get that it's edited by the x office but like you know mm, south jersey i guess is still in new jersey but you ain't jersey Ooh. so you know it's philly it's philly uh, john john so how you johns feel about this the X Johns. Uh, I, on the one hand, I like I agree with everything you're saying, and I also kind of think it is the situation. But I could make an argument for how it doesn't have to be this way, and like, uh, and uh, an Avengers Unity Squad is actually much more important now than it was when that came out, because again. The mutants were not a, a culture. They were not an ethnic group. They were literally a hundred people on a raft. I would hoping... kill for a mutant step squad. <laughs> yeah, they really were just like you know. It was uh, the um, the entire staff of a target just <laughs> they would survive. Um, but you know, if they're an island nation and the Avengers are an international uh, 
group of showgirls, then having a unity squad makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, the Avengers are approving of the X-Men and that will tell the world because what all minorities seek is the approval of Steve Rogers. Um, Alpha Flight in that same way is essentially doing the same thing where like the four non-mutant ones are like... But for Brooklyn Heights. (laughs) Please, if she if they, we pull off the nemesis hood and that's who's there, <laughs> I think uh, that will be a win. For well, everybody. it's not uh, Jeffrey Bowers Chapman because he's it, too mean. It sure, <laughs> shit is not Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. Uh, we all know it's actually going to be Lemon, but um, it's Juliana Margulies. Sorry, <laughs> is it Jimbo or Juliana Margulies? It's obviously Jimbo. Look at the breasts. It's Jimbo dressed as Juliana Margulies doing uh, the lawyer from Scrubs. Um, <laughs> uh, you're welcome. So uh, both Alpha Flight and oh. Avengers could continue a- after this writes itself. I don't think they will, but they could. And, you know, the other thing that kind of brings up is the fact that every single thing that is new that's being released in this era is a five issue mini. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Oh Dark Horse 2003. What the fuck? Like, what do they want from us in that regard? Like, I don't know. It feels like this is their. We are treading water to get ready for MCU, like proper relaunch of X titles. Now that they've got that all like in the back. I mean, well, and that's know, not like, happening until 2027. So, I, like, I want everything is delayed. Coming with, up uh, fast. Yeah. I want to pivot this to Jonah because Please. Jonah is literally why they're doing this. Something that we as a you. generation said for years was if it's not linearly numbered, we literally can't follow it. We are literally incapable of research. But the nature of the evolution, like literally, that is actually something that Marvel has said that people would say in 1999, there is no way for me to find a repository that states exactly how to go run and volume to run and volume because the internet yeah. just didn't exist in the same way yet. But in the internet age, it is so much easier to do it without buying a $70 comic book guide. Jonah, your generation being willing to literally Google has changed the comic industry forever. And it's literally why we've covered things like Spellbound on this show and why we've been able to find so much information. You know, when you hear that something's five issue mini to five issue mini to five issue mini, do you have the same um, visceral kind of reaction that we do? Or are you like, what the fuck do I care? The title is a title. I mostly have a mixed reaction because on one part of me, I get a little. I gave you two choices. Pick one. Never. Uh... <laughs> it's. A little annoying in the sense of, okay, here's another new title. But at the end of the day, I'm more, I get more annoyed. I don't get the visceral, like, kind of reaction. It's more annoyed of, like, oh, great, another title. But my annoyance is more so met with, it also, I understand it doesn't matter. It's just a different title because I, I know what they're doing. This is more so meant so that, Anybody can jump on at any point, and it's it's much more easier and reasonable to say to somebody, "Hey, I got this five um, five issue miniseries that I think you'll really like, and maybe you'll want to continue reading." You're not saying that part; that's in the parentheses. 
than it is to say to somebody, hey, I got these 20 issues of this entire run that I think you would really love. And their number is 644 to, you know, yes. uh, 667. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, man. is valid. As a pansexual, as I think the only pansexual on this panel, uh, I agree. Who knows? Thank you, Talir. We can have it all. Um, we can. You can. We can. We all can. Everybody can have everything. Um, I can. Opulence. Opulence. But that's what I, that's how I kind of view it as. I get the slight annoyed of like, oh, great, another title. But I also understand it's all part of the same run. It's it's just repackaging. It's the same idea as, uh, you know, this the it's the fake idea of like you kind of dressing it up as one thing when really it's the entire thing. It's all the same continuous run. They're just not numbering it in a way that makes it feel like it's impossible to jump on. You know, it's really hard. Like, you know, you throw those numbers, but like somebody who's like, I'm going to read some classic X-Men issues. I want to go back, read something from, you know, way back in the 70s, even earlier. And you're like, oh, there's like 400 issues of these. Uh, I don't know if I can do all of that. Uh, but if you who say somebody, has the time, but if you're if you're if you hand somebody uh, plates, if you're handing somebody these comics saying like, hey, read these five issues and they read them and you go, OK, now read these five and you hand them in these smaller dosages, you're much more likely to go along with everything. Um, it's kind of like it's a, it's dressing it up in a certain way uh, that makes you pretend in a way that you're getting something else. It's similar to the idea of like incognito mode, where they're definitely not tracking what you're searching for. They're definitely not looking at anything, but we can pretend because there's a shady little there's sh a shady little guy there. None of the weird stuff I've looked at on incognito mode has ever bled into my browsing. Nope, never. And sometimes it'll bleed into other browsing histories on different devices. If you're like, wait, what? <laughs> God, the things I look at on incognito mode are supposed to stay between me and the privacy of under my blanket at 4.30 in the morning. And so, my NSA agent. Now, I want to add another layer to this because something happened this Like an week. onion. Oh, yeah. No. Um, actually, a little bit more like a complicated 1990s teen drama. I have to add another set of characters that don't fit. They're siblings. One of them's a clean teen. It's very exciting. But I'm the clean teen. Dawson's Creek. I know Dawson's Creek. Oh, my God. If it were Dawson's Creek, it would be talking all about James Vanderbeek's glorious chest hair. I thought you were talking about Jack and Andy. Damn it. Um, what I really... Oh, it's a great trope. Um, what I really want to mention is... Okay. People don't realize this, but like... We, so, Kevo and I just did a, a glorious 12-season Friend into Joey watch. Um, because no matter what you feel about Friends, it predominated the face of, of popular culture. You literally cannot discuss the nature of sitcoms from the 90s to the 2000s without recognizing that Friends is the progenitor of so many of these tropes in a reformed way. While Cheers laid the groundwork for Friends, um, Friends did it in the era that the internet existed, which changed everything. And to that end, we watched the Friends reunion today, and I was thrilled to see how much the, the creators got um, showcase time because with comics everybody thinks of Wolverine Cyclops and Jean Grey but they don't think of Grant Morrison they don't yeah. think of Kieran Gillen the creators who are responsible for the formation of this but if we were to take that analogy that metaphor of celebrity within the realm and say that the writers then represent the you know everybody wants to get the Kieran Gillen like they used to want to get the Rachel so everybody's just going <laughs> shaving their head and getting real pasty 
But um, <laughs> the thing that I think is fascinating then is the editors represent the creator, the creatives in the television world. And it was announced this week in what I can only describe as the most confusing thing I've ever seen happen. Okay, so let's start with Jordan D. White has been with the X-Men since I want to say the Decimation Era circa 2006. Hmm. Jordan D. White has been with the X-Men for so long, he has outlasted the entirety of multiple Mike Martz eras. And look, I am not trying to be that guy, but Mike Martz can do anything when he comes to the X-Men. The guy is a genius, right? Um, he outlasted the Janine Schaefer era on Wolverine, Janine Schaefer being the first ever female editor on the Wolverine line. He outlasted the entirety of New Avengers. He outlasted the entirety of the Secret Wars era. He outlasted the entirety of the color era. And he became the X-Men line editor shortly before the Hoxpox era. I was looking at some numbers and they made this big announcement that Tom Brevoort, who was always sort of seen as like heir apparent to the, the, the editorial empire in many ways, he announced via his newsletter that the rumors that were circulating were true and that he would be taking over the X-Men in the next couple of months. Now, I'm sorry, but it's clear that it's it's just obvious Jordan D. White has been deposed. And if he chose to leave, it's because the writing was on the wall. And I say that with some amount of certainty, because when you look at what Tom Brevoort did, you mean the guy who edited New Avengers, the guy who edited House of M, Secret Invasion, uh, World War Hulk, the, uh, the Heroic Age, Fear Itself into Secret Wars, the guy who was there every step of the way. Um, you know, it's it's tough because when you think about like Civil War and you think about the era that that was for the Avengers, I looked at the numbers, guys. There's no denying it. House of X, number one, sold an incredible 117,000 copies its first week. New Avengers number one sold 285,000 its first week, 100,000 its second week, 30,000 its third week. New Avengers was more reprinted than House of X. The guy coming on to take over for the X-Men Empire for Jordan D. White led the Avengers to a more successful era by sales, number of releases, time on the charts, secondary resales, resolicits, and second covers than did Jordan D. White for the X-Men. Is this um, Bendis's New Avengers? Okay, so back in the, like, this was 2004, 2003? 2005-ish. Yeah. 2005, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's worth noting that people a... purchased comics differently back then. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors at play here, but... But I'm a numbers guy, dude! I made the spreadsheets! An... You are a numbers guy, um, and... Uh, <laughs> Tom Brevoort has really been the guy. Tom Brevoort's a company man. We talk a lot about company men on this show. Uh, and I don't think Nico loves numbers. I love this hashtag. Um, I don't think Jordan D. White is not a company man. I think Tom Brevoort has been a company man longer and has Jordan D. White is a. It, I'm, I, I don't want to. I, yeah, none of this. You're the I'm, only person that will understand this in my life. Like, yeah. Not that I think Jake won't, but like 
Tim, Tim, I see you're still in the room, and that's amazing because my crush on you knows no bounds. But Tim, how long have you been reading actively? Because do you know who Jordan D. White is? Jordan D. White is a Wizard Magazine man. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yes. And that's very oh. uh, that's very company man adjacent. Uh, that's very enthusiast. That's part of the culture. Tom Brevoort has had a track record of excellence <laughs> yeah. and consistency that, you know, I think right now making a, a change up of some kind must make some kind of sense. And what's really interesting is the 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 thing that you I've seen in response to Jordan D. White is a lot of people being like good uh you know he shepherded the x-men into this weird era where they're all plant pod people he absolutely has to go this has gotten way too gay this has gotten way too weird for me i want out and then i know so many queer people who are like all of the queer cool stuff seems to have happened almost in spite of this person it is yeah. in spite um, of this man and this man's I, okay it's I always the best though like, isn't it yeah no it's really say. funny like it's thing two i cannot from entirely different ends of the spectrum there were jordan d white's nickname early on in his career implied what a vanilla person he was yeah 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 thing i cannot say because of people's ndas but jordan d white was a very gentle soul not looking to rile the masses and i don't know that Either group will be happier with Tom Brevoort. I don't know that they won't. I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying, I don't know one way or the other is what I'm saying. I think um, it'll be a third group. I think you're very correct. I really, really think you're correct. I think it will be a third group is going to be brought in. I think JoJo's are going to come in the way they came in because Tom Brevoort said things like Elsa were cool. Yeah. I think you're right. I think no one involved in the <laughs> argument is going to be happy. I think it's going to be third parties. Really, I really. I also think it's possible that you know, they might, Tom Brevoort might be somebody who can juggle these groups more and who can figure out mm -hmm. how to identify what queer people love about X-Men and make sure the talent that writes that way is nurtured and isn't feeling really secondary to um, the jerry duggins and ben percy's who i love man i really do love them but like they clearly are very comfortable there right now and the vita ayala's do not seem nearly as comfortable where's leah right where's leah, leah williams williams yeah. teeny howard where's teeny howard seeing them anymore so many non-male figures were chased away by the yeah. second era when they were shepherded in by jonathan hickman so my question becomes where was the change where we said we're going to only favor POC and minority creators as tentpole items instead of letting them shape the face mm -hmm. of their mm -hmm. characters? Or well, giving that... them five-issue minis, the end of arcs, uh, giving them stories in Marvel Voices, which, you know, we just got Marvel Voices X-Men, where a bunch of those people, including Vidal, Vidal is in it. Greg Pak is in it. Uh, Jay Edidin is in it. Like, great voices are I mean, in it. I believe uh, Bradley, can't think of his last name right now, is in it. Um, 
Oh, no, he's got a different book out, right? He just tweeted how excited he was that one of his friends is published in X-Men Voices. They are literally pulling from X-Twitter right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, it is and beautiful to see. But it's so it's, great. they're not giving them uncanny X-Men. Exactly. And, you know, they're not getting the two longest runs. X they're Force over and... at DC, says Tim Burnham. Exactly. Uh, you know, Wolverine and yeah. X-Force are the two yeah. longest running books uh, for the X-Men line right now. And those are both Ben Percy. And that's great. I love Ben Percy. I want Ben Percy's Ghost Rider to get that. Um, but it's been tough to see. Uh, it seems like yeah. Gaiella had a tough time on New Mutants. Charlie Jane Anders came on. That was really exciting. Charlie Jane Anders got some great stuff. Okay, she got hold on. This... Charlie Jane, four of us were in the room when Charlie yes. Jane Anders talked about... Um, their incredible uphill battle shaping some of this stuff, not because of Marvel. Marvel didn't seem to give them pushback. Listening to Charlie Jane Anders at FlameCon talk about how their goal was queer, 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 and no one stopped them. The majorest problem was finding a way to sort of like produce this all and sync with the universe. But to hear from Charlie Jane Anders, a trans creator at Marvel's mouth, that no one stopped them from making the transest book in the world. The problem was like making that book at Marvel. The problem wasn't the characters being trans. The issue was like, what books are there to make it Marvel right? Like it was right. literally like yeah. Well, yeah. There was this. There's this real. I mean. I I'm going to speak for myself, but I got a real sense of abandonment after the first, like, let's say at Inferno, when the line changed over, we lost books like Excalibur, we'd already lost X-Factor, um, you know, New Mutants was kind of going in a really, it was about to go in a real different direction. And, you know, we were getting short, we were getting these short series to pick things up. We were seeing uh, marginalized creators, marginalized from the X office and the people who were getting to keep, like... I think the optics of that are terrible. And I have to wonder, I, I honestly genuinely have to wonder, given the time between Inferno and now, whether or not some of the some of the reasoning for, for taking Jordan off X stuff is because that was a like the it was wildly unpopular, the decisions that were made. The the truncation of schedules, the pulling off these these creators that people really vibed with, and not letting any of these stories get any runway to take off. Can I actually I wanna Okay. Uh, Tim, if you're still in here, Tim, I don't know if you heard the announcement that Steve Wacker made. Oh, not Wacker. Uh, Nick Lowe made uh, three days, two days ago. Um, the greatest editor to ever be on Daredevil has returned to the Spider-Man office. TK, I don't know if you've heard, but Ellie Pyle returned to the Spider-Man office this week. And it is... I have a special spot in my heart for Ellie Pyle. Uh, for working so hard to make a Daredevil X-Men crossover happen. Uh, a couple of editors, one of whom knew me, made a Daredevil Domino crossover happen as a gift to me. Mm. And um, it is two of the most special issues in the history of the universe. I am so grateful um, that Mark Wade era Daredevil got to meet Domino. That is a very special thing for me. Um, <clears throat> I'm very grateful to that person and to Ellie Pyle for putting in the extra hours too. But Jonah, something you said was you stopped reading the books a bunch of months ago, um, but something you kept reading were those incredible unlimited comics uh, coming out over in the infinite side of things. 
And you know who edited those? You know who edited all of those Infinite comics? None other than Daredevil's best editor ever. Sorry, Rolf Macchio. I'm not trying to insult you. Um, but none other than Ellie Pyle. Jonah, my favorite run at any, my favorite run at Marvel or DC ever is the Mark Wade Daredevil. And that was edited by Ellie Pyle and Steve Wacker. It doesn't shock me to hear that the woman I think is responsible for some of the greatest comic stories ever told in history is the woman who shaped the stories that kept your interest at Marvel. Knowing that she's switched over to the spider office now and uh, TK, did you hear what she took over? Uh, she's taking over Spider-Man now that Spider-Boy is out of the book. I didn't realize Spider-Man was going to keep going. Oh, it's an ongoing now. And uh, Ellie Ellie Pyle took over. So Is uh, Slot going to keep writing it? Yeah, and uh, Spider-Boy is going to his own book edited by Nick Lowe. Um, so, Jonah, how do you... F is that enough? Like, knowing that, like, the behind-the-scenes people, knowing that the behind-the-scenes kings and queens that are, like, making these moves have moved from the era you love that area that you know unlimited infinite comic to the printed page is that enough to get you to check out the world of spider-man or are you like you know editors are just behind the scenes people i'm not interested in the director i'm interested in the actor um no that actually could get me interested i i am someone uh and Kevo, Nico, and I'm sure TK can also attest to this. When I, uh, when Jake and I hang out more and he sees me watch TV, oh, it makes sense why I didn't name him just uh, them years yet. Um, I am somebody who looks at the details. I, you can attest to the amount of times I will pause a show and I will look at the tiniest little piece of paper Hold to on, see wait. what is written. I have to go back. I don't. I'm not trying to be annoying. I just I need to know what that I, is. I, 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 I am the person that will pause everything to read whatever the art department, whatever somebody has made that is oh, in Nina Garcia's note card on Project Runway. Yeah. That's when oh, he stopped to read. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, Nina the, Garcia, the woman who taught me how to be a strong independent Latina, uh, showing her scoring card for the first time in 20 years was literally like I could write a book it about was, that. It was the peek behind the, the curtain in Oz. It was The Wizard is Not Real. Uh, we saw everything, but I um, you know, flying monkey shoulder to circle into uh, <laughs> to Joey when we watched episodes. There's uh, an episode where they're writing storyboard ideas for the TV show, and I had to pause because like I had to see what they wrote. I had to see what these ideas they came up with for their show. Um, so I'm somebody who gets invested and ventures into the people who do the background stuff, who do these things that make the book go round that you don't think about because you're so busy looking at the smoke and mirrors of the actors of like, look at me, I'm acting. What is acting? You show up, you say a few lines, you go home. Uh, but the directors, everybody else. So seeing that there are people who are responsible, who help make things responsible for things that I enjoy and love, it could get me in there. Now, it's not enough really um it's a great start and it is a great um it's a great hook it's a real great to get me to take that bait to, to bite onto the hook now to actually reel me in i'm more so looking at okay what are the stories what is the content going to be who are we focusing on that's where the that's how you get me to actually get in there 
Ugh, side note, unrelated. Marvel heard me talking, I guess, through my phone, and I just got asked if I want to watch the Marvel Voices X-Men trailer. Ugh, stop stalking me um, on my phone. You know, Jonah, I think that's a really great thing because one of the things that I think Marvel needs to start doing is literally saying, what would it take to get a young person with disposable income to read this? And, you know, like... They don't know if you have disposable income on here or not. But one of the things they've heard you talk about is your engineering background. One of the things people can hear you talking about is your love of comics. If they put those two things together, they could say whether or not this guy has disposable income now. This is the kind of fan we should be investing in because he could be someone with disposable income now in the future or both. And I think that's what frustrates me so much. You know, T, you know TK and I really, really... I pause for a second because i'm going to be like this is a question for jake tk and i really love the infinite comics but you know jake i don't know if you read the marvel infinite comics and like i'm a little bit partial because uh the cutest man in all of comics hey terry bloss is working hey. on a ton of uh comic i got to hug that man so tight at flame con it was incredible i have not seen him in a year it was so hard um but um you know the nature of uncanny x-men as like a big branch title is it will always be reserved for jerry duggins it will always be reserved for kieran gillens there's sort of this gatekeeperism when it comes to a book called uncanny x-men yeah. but when it comes to a book called love unlimited when it comes to a book called x-men unlimited infinite comic there's room for people like you know jake you're somebody who's an academic you're somebody who is a you're on this show. You're a professional journalist. You know, there's oh. room for people. Yeah, no, you could apply for a press pass. Hey, okay. room for people on things like Infinite Comics. You know, Marvel hired a new assistant editor. They have 432 followers on Twitter. That's it. That's it. They have 432 followers. Their podcast. I clicked on it. It has 17 followers. Like it actually has like 233. But I'm <laughs> point about like Marvel is looking for talent, not numbers. How do you feel about that dichotomy when somebody like an Ellie Pyle, I mean, like, number one, if you've ever wanted to read a book about dealing with psychological trauma, Mark Wade's Daredevil is the number one book for me. Uh, it's up there with Hawkeye by Fraction, Aja, and Wu. Uh, <laughs> but the, you know, how do you feel about that nature of gatekeeping on titles like Uncanny X-Men versus something like X-Men Unlimited? Does the adjective denote status to you or do you wish that Marvel would start to embrace this idea of holistic environment, whether it's digital or print? <clears throat> I think it's bullshit. I think that Marvel uh, is you heard it here. A queer king said bullshit. I think Marvel is gatekeeping. I think it's really shitty that uh, that the that main books, whether it's like New Avengers, Avengers, Uncanny X-Men, New X-Men, X-Men, Extraordinary X-Men, all the X-Men. Like the main the titles that we recognize that go but that who that have the adjectives that go back decades don't get given to like marginalized people. They just don't. And if they do, it's always for a token run. Like it's 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 just stupid. It's like and, and it's obvious. It's transparent. And this is always gonna be one of the tensions of being like a a lifelong reader is that like I see I see you, Marvel Corporate. I see you don't care about anything but my money, but the story and for, for whatever reason, the story is compelling enough that I keep returning to it. And these characters, 
mean something enough to me that I keep returning to them, even though I don't think Marvel cares at all about like the underlying dynamics, uh, like Marvel as a corporate culture. Because I, I, I literally hear you. I've had the pleasure of meeting Ellie Pyle and thanking her for making that arc for me. She didn't do it for me, but she kind of, <laughs> um, and if you say to her, the queer experience metaphor in Matt's love for Foggy, I don't know if she agrees with it. I don't know if she disagrees with it. But if you tell her that that made her feel special when Matt literally held Foggy's hand, when my, when you know Foggy was like, I have cancer. And Matt was like, I am not too proud as a straight man to hold your hand. If you say that to her, she's going to say, thank you. Whether or not she sees the queer coding and whether or not that exists for you, it's sort of that idea of taking the chance and of investing in the creator. I really love your perspective on the idea that they want your money as a corporation and being so clear that it's a corporation. Because I know the Ellie Piles, the Steve Wackers, the Brevorts, the JWDs. The Vita Ayala's. I mean, like, I, the, I mean, talk about, like, Talk about someone who should be on Uncanny X-Men, who should be on X-Men, who should have- The person a- who was always kind to run. me when my book was just eight pages on the internet was kind to me and told me I was a creator exactly the same as they were. Never big dogged me, held me, I held my hand at a panel as I was like, you wrote Supergirl. How can I sit next to you? I mean- They were it, just like, you're a king. Why would you feel that way? It just shows the passion and like the the- I, frankly, the courage of these uh, courage. Of writers coming from marginalized communities and stepping up and saying, yeah, I'm going to write for Marvel, not because like I fully believe in Marvel as a corporate entity, but because I fully believe in these stories and what they do for people, what they've done for me. And like that's that takes a lot of bravery to to weather that cognitive dissonance and, you know, stick to it long enough to produce good work. Like. Do I want to wear Bob Iger like a sock? Yes. But do I think that everything he does as a CEO is God-given? Certainly not. And that's sort of the identity that you're talking about here. Do I always agree with everything Disney does? No. But is the predominant feeling in my heart when you wish upon a star? Absolutely. (laughs) It's that idea of being able to separate the corporation from the idea itself You know, Kevo, something that I think about a lot is you spend a lot of time having to deal with the Marvel Universe despite reading like a grand total of 500 out of a million comics. And I don't mean that diminutively. Certainly, you know, you've read like 2000. But the idea... Ah, nice nice music switch. I was really Mm -hmm. proud of this arrangement. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how do you feel as somebody witnessing all of this from the outside because i would say from the amount you listen to me tk jake and jonah on this show you are i don't want to say you're you know more red than a wiki person but you are blanche you are how does it feel for you as somebody witnessing all of this kevo from the outside seeing the evolution of x-men over the course of decades through your husband's eyes I would really love, really fast, a pirate version of whatever happened to Baby Jane. It's the exact same movie with just pirates. Um, I'm just going to take that a separate, uh, a step further because then the wire hanger becomes the hook. Oh, God. Oh, that's Mommy Dearest. I got that's Mommy Dearest. Yeah. Same actress. Mom, but that's same Mommy actress. Dearest. It's all the most beautiful thing ever. Hey, Rue, call me. 
Kevo, the evolution of X-Men as a witness. Uh, you know, to quote your beloved sister, I would call it bananas. I thought you were going to say what's in the box. My sister Julia, uh, two kids. Uh, One time ever in our lives did an impression of the what's in the box line in, in 2009. And she has not lived it down for 14 years. My sister's that impression what, of Brad Pitt and Sam. It is not her regular impression. Bad. It's legendarily bad. Anyway. Um... Yeah, no, it's just, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, I think it harkens back to a lot of what Jake was saying at the beginning of the broadcast, where these things are very cyclical. Um, they go in and out. I think something that's hard to gauge, though, uh, you know, in changing of the guard and just the way things evolve is what will end up really sticking uh, because status quos do change and you know there was a time where emma frost really 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 was just a villain and that is a mm -hmm. coin that is flipped and that is just one major example but there are plenty of others that i'm sure all of us could name mm -hmm. um so it's just so hard to tell and it's always really heartbreaking when a status quo that you loved is taken away um but i really feel like you know there have been so many positive responses to a lot of the things that have been going on i really hope that uh a lot of things stay the course for the positive you know i just want to chime in on something you said because we brought up the marriage of tony stark and emma frost so many times in this episode and i by that i mean twice <laughs> I just need to point out that May 18th, 2022, our show discussed Marvel's history of the Marvel Universe uh, and discussed the possibility of the marriage of Tony Stark and Emma Frost. And goddamn, I can still hear then contributors Rod and uh, Nathan and maybe Josh all being like, absolutely not. There is no way that within five years this emma frost can marry this tony stark it cannot happen and um it was something that like members of this team would continue to scream <coughs> sort of in that like welcome to dairy levels of like nah um 80s bullying mentality <laughs> they were like gonna fucking punch mark wade in the head for writing that i want to congratulate marvel on i don't know i was ready to throw in the towel i really was i thought i was gonna quit x-men inferno number four betrayed me so much i'd felt very ambivalent about marvel and hawks pox number one stole my heart but nothing made me feel like Tori Amos's Scarlet's Walk, like Moira McTaggart was a mutant. It changed my life. I felt, I I don't know, like I anybody who watches Top Chef, Melissa King is like my literal favorite reality competitor of all time. And like the strength I get from Melissa King, I got that kind of strength from Moira McTaggart being a mutant. And the fact that she chose, I, I truly believe she chose to hide it all that time. On some level, she always knew. And 
was doing her part and just I don't know. My Moira McTaggart might be a flawed woman, but she's um she's a queen, you know, she wants to protect people. She and runs them with a machine gun. Yeah, she's machine gun Moira and she's a doctor. And that's I think she took a vow to do no harm. And where did you people forget that the basis of Moira McTaggart was do no harm? Was is she a medical doctor? Um, she makes it very clear that she is a a person concerned with the quality of existence, not just for herself. I don't know. I think the <laughs> she never which, take the Hippocratic oath. She might be a researcher. Sorry. She very well might not have taken a Hippocratic oath, but then that is completely in the Hippocratic oath is in line with her behavior, and you don't need to be a Christian to also have the same identity of Christian fundamentals, like hurt no one don't lie don't steal she might not have made the hippocratic oath but and she might have done horrible things but she never once seemed like um somebody ready to commit genocide and the moira mctaggart that i received in Hawkspox was a woman who was beyond ideas like genocide i you know the idea of i can extinguish an entire people that's limited to a woman who's existed through 10 lifetimes. Why do you think that the only thing someone will come away from 10 lifetimes with is death? Well, she invented the mutant cure initially. Like she, that's a genocide. Sure, but then didn't God invent death, pain, suffering, misery, hate, endings, personal triumph? Yeah. Read all of that. I mean, she so also the question the isn't cure. whether or not God is a genocideer. It's, it's whether or not Moira has the capacity to turn against her own people which she did that's baked into I, the dna and I hear of the that. character my point is no that's baked into the dna of the character of two pages one time and i think my point is they showed that as a learning moment that shaped the woman she would become that wasn't a new moment that was an old moment that was said to have influenced everything that came after it my perspective is a little bit more if you think somebody could live through 10 lifetimes and the only thing they have in them is murder, gleeful smiling as they stab a woman in the heart, I think you've lived a very shallow single lifetime. And I don't think 10 lifetimes could result in the greatest moment of your life is stabbing Jean Grey. If the greatest moment of your life after 10 lifetimes is stabbing Jean Grey, I'm sorry, Moira McTaggart, you were never the character I thought you were. And you're a joke. And that's You know what? Problem. It's comics. And I kind of hope that's one of those things in the opposite direction where she had like a brain weevil or something. Something infected her brain and made her do evil. And a lot of the good stuff was fine. And then she went crazy because some space bug made her do it. And that's comics. And so I kind of hope in the opposite direction of wanting to keep the things that are positive. I hope that we are able to kind of pull back on things that are negative as well. And that's the nature of this type of storytelling that I always really enjoy in a lot of ways. And it's why you have to embrace the less serious side of uh, these stories, you know? Uh, I, because I, when you make things that some people consider mistakes, you kind of have to be allowed to buy back from it. I just want to say that I think the thing that that really highlights, and Jake, your point really did help me see something that I was really missing, which is... I accept that Magneto could be Zorn. 
because <laughs> he has said he will extinguish everyone on the planet before. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that Magneto literally wanted to extinguish every mutant that didn't agree with him and would literally invoke the names of the people that extinguished his people before, as was done in New X-Men, mm-hmm. even though it's on panel. I accept that Moira came up with the mutant cure, but I bet you could convince me Xavier came up with a mutant cure at some point in his canon as well. I bet you could convince me that Xavier uh, was a part of some sort of joint Magneto plan as well. But I don't know that you should say that that is the predominant thing that should define the character. Moira's actions in the last year have been so hideous that they must define the character because their hideousness erase her good. And I think that's an interesting metaphor for so much of what the X-Men have become for me. You know, to bring it back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, we're in a position where the X-Men are going to rebirth and they have to be something new because what they were does not work for, you know, the next minute, just for the next minute, right? And my question then, and I'm going to go in counterclockwise order. I'm going to go Jake, Jonah. I guess that's not counterclockwise order. I'm going to go from the bottom and back up to the top. Jake, Jonah, Kevo, TK, me. My question for you all as we play this motherfucker out. Obviously, this is, as they've said, a transform, uh, a transform, like I can't even think, a transformative, but transformational. Like I want to combine those two words because it's not just a state of being. It's an active verb, Right. It's a period of exclusive rebirth for the X-Men. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that come and go from this period. And every one of them is important and valid. But Jake, what is it that you are hoping that the X-Men most hold on to in this period of uncertainty? And what is it that you maybe wouldn't mind seeing pulled back on just a little bit? I think... What I want to see held on to is the... I like the relocation of the dream language from the dream of Xavier to the dream of Krakoa and the dream of the mutant nation. Um, I really... Uh, I want that to be a central question because that's a that's a, that's a a really grave concern for a diaspora... a, a diasporic people. Um, you know, the dream of our homeland that we have been, you know, that we've been like literally denied access to and kicked out of. Um, when are I, they going to make Fire Island the gay nation it is supposed to be? <laughs> um, what do I hope they pull back on? I don't know because I'm really, I'm really enjoying not enjoying in like the ah this is so wonderful, but like I'm I'm finding some real salience and depth in the questions of what does it look like to see the fascist machine turned against your people? Because that's very, yeah, I feel, I feel resonance with that moment right now. Um, seeing the, seeing elements of the fascist machine, you know, state by state turned against our people. Um, and what does resistance look like? And, you know, as I was saying before, violence in comic books is symbolic, uh, for conflict. So how do we direct ourselves in this conflict is a is a an important question that this is this is doing some of the exploration of uh, through metaphor and through you know supernaturalism um, and just as an end note this question to me is coming from a religious studies background learning how to like read religious texts and questions about who gets to who gets to own the narrative of the text the answer is that anyone who reads it um, Marvel doesn't own doesn't 
ultimately like own the spirit of the story and so you know as we approach this as people who love these characters who love these stories remembering uh not to be disheartened by the fact that like there may be institutional control but we kind of get to decide what dynamics work for us um yeah that's me jonah um you bring up a fascinating point, Jake. I think you're kind of talking about like, similar to the idea when people talk about like the death of the author, the idea yeah. that once you put your work out there, there you do no lo you no longer control how it's uh, uh, specifically going to be uh, read by everybody. Everybody's going to have a different interpretation, whether your intent was there or not. And I think um, that's a common thing you find across a lot of any media is the death of the blank of everybody's gonna have different experiences gonna read different things you know nico talked about in the daredevil run the uh, potential queer allegory of foggy and matt of that kind of romance or you might view it as just the a positive male relationship between the two there's you know no interpretation is going to be wrong outside of whatever you know anyway um what do i most enjoy about the x-men personally I want, I hope they maintain the family aspect. I think at the end of the day, the X-Men are often seen as a found family. These people who come together, who have a shared uh, defining feature, and they find one another, they find camaraderie, they find that they are looking out for one another because they have to, because the world is against them. I think at the heart of the x-men that should always be there in their stories something i can do without i'm not entirely sure i haven't really been caught up so i'm not really sure where we're at of what we're keeping there's nothing really about the x-men that i often found oh man i can do or really do without less of uh, with less of this maybe less of the teasing of romance and say if you're gonna do the romance go for it or not i i'm so at this point i am over the teasing and over the meta uh, the uh we're gonna dance around topics i said i my mindset is now either give it to us or don't no i no commit longer to the bit. commit to the bit no longer dangle don't dangle the carrot anymore uh either do it or don't i love that now kevo I'm really excited to get your uh, opinion, but I do believe we have a very uh, wonderfully readable opinion uh, from our amazing comment section provided by the incredible Talir Agron, who has been yes. a, an amazing super fan these last couple of months. Yes, as they say, is this mic on, LOL. I want to continue the exploration of why our characters good or bad, what makes a villain, what makes a hero, what happens when the world can heal instead of hurt us? And I love all of that, too. Um, again, the big question is, what do you most hope the X-Men hold on to? Slash, what do you hope they pull back on? Uh, I think, for me, a lot of that is great. And I really agree. I, I really want to see these stories pushing themselves a little bit more to explore new territory as well. And to remember that... You know, tropes are great, tropes are fun, cycles are fun, but also explore new things. And remember, like, the origins of comic stories where not everything had to be 
dark and dire. Not everything has to be a freaking mutant genocide. Do you remember the giant bullet from space that was just like a space bullet? Like, yeah, all the other stuff, but like at its core, I mean the space bullet part. I mean like wacky sci-fi things. Like, I don't know, a space tornado is coming for Earth, and no one's behind it. It's just a natural disaster. How crazy would it be if Star Trek replaced the Borg with the Borgias? You know what I mean? Just for one arc. Okay, no historical drama for anybody else. I chuckled a little. But, like, you know... Just doing some wacky things instead of always relying on this prosecution. It's 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 it carries you so far. But sometimes you need to take a break and uh you know something wacky. Uh, I thank you, Talirus. Talirus says, Yes, we need more whimsy in camp. And you know, big whimsy in camp. I yeah. think, you know, the giant eternal coming to life was it could have been wacky, and it got re... Not eternal, but, you know, it was their fault yeah. or whatever. Celestial. You got what I mean. Celestial. You know, like, Celestial. I just want to say, Kevo, in that regard, not to not that I'm disagreeing with you, I'm agreeing with you here to explain where I've disagreed with you previously. That's why check the dampeners and see if they're hampered doesn't bother me in Subspace Rhapsody. Some of the lyrics are very... My parents died in a space explosion. I have been on my own. I'm an orphan. And like... I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm mad. I'm sad. It doesn't bother me because sometimes that's the best way to say it. Jonah, you're... Yes. Jonah, you so rarely chuckle so hard like that. Jojo, okay. what's on your laughing mind? Because... This is so stupid, but you saying the orphan thing. I was like, oh, what if, the, what if Annie was a musical? Not... <laughs> What if Annie was a musical? <laughs> you know, I've it's, always wondered. I've, what I've if they made a musical? Pitch. Somebody should pick this up. What if Teak's they made a turn. musical about homeless people with AIDS? Teak's turn. I um, I'm so sorry. I switched universes from where Annie's not a musical. It's actually just a play. <laughs> Some of them had Reality homes. Hopper. They just weren't willing to pay for their homes. Uh. I, yeah, I mean, I hope... The home I, disenfranchised. I hope we hang on to things like joy and whimsy and comedy and ridiculousness and the things that come with that, which typically tend to be uh, younger writers, less entrenched writers, new voices, new voices of new perspectives. Um, that is, you know, it's such a weird thing because the X-Men line has actually really fostered a lot of that. It's just they have done it up to a certain point and mm-hmm. then it's like there's really no reason to stop, but then they have stopped. So don't stop. Keep going with it. Don't stop till you get enough, uh, which is never. Um, I would like to leave behind... Um, You know, um, at this point, like maybe even it's a lot more uh, infrastructural and system stuff. Like, Nico, you keep proposing, like, why are we not just doing um, month and year for books? Like, why are books just not like just the date? Just the date. July 2023. Yeah. Uh, The date. You know, it's things like that that I maybe want to maybe want to leave behind. Just like 
old structures of well now this is just a mini uh this is an ongoing um oh yeah yeah i mean that that i think is kind of really really killing us now i'm gonna be the worst because uh i actually don't want to answer this question because i think like i answered this question for two hours and everyone's really tired of my being super antagonistic um so instead i am going to be the bearer of light and joy i'm going to be the character that had a change of i'm gurgi at the end of black cauldron you're gonna kill yourself <laughs> no i'm gonna save everybody yep, jojo that's the plot of the movie it's wild it's, it's a horrible film but god that tokyo disney beautiful. asshole tore through is why incredible. do people never mind really for yeah. a different show if Kinda i could town. give everybody a book right now uh, Jake, I would love to see you on a Dark X-Men on a yes. metaphoric yes. reflection of the nation and its morality. I would love to see that. Jojo, if I could see you on any title, I would love to see you on something with the possibility of futurism, like Children of the Vault. Something where you're not held down by excessive amounts of canon, but rather free to explore what makes your fandom beautiful and unique. Kevo, if I could put you on any book, I would love to see you on a Gen X, on the young kids book, but a book about the young kids focusing on the future, less focusing on being iterations of the past. Mm -hmm. TK, if I could put you on anything, I would put you on X-Men Red so you wouldn't have to deal with any of the awful canon going on on Canon. <laughs> on Krakoa. Um, just looking out for you. And... Uh, <sighs> I could be on mm. anything. I would be on Realm of X uh, because <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to give me Realm of X. I want to be uh, no. I want to be on existing Realm of X with Torn Grunbeck. I just want to hang out with her. Uh, I don't even really need to write the book. If she wants to give me the byline, that's cool. But mostly, I want to go online at the cafeteria. For the her. line is by great for the line. Ugh, as a pan yeah. man, I'm super excited to see the rep. But no, realistically, I would love to do something that represents the magic <laughs> side of Marvel uh, and X-Men. I think the magic side of X-Men, the magic side of mutancy explored by Teeny Howard and to an extent, Leah Williams over in the pages of the trial of Magneto. I'm sorry, the trial of Scarlet Witch. Let's not lie to ourselves. Um, it's really necessary to taking a look at the bigger picture of mutancy. It was started with the disgusting. Let's fucking hate his name forever. Warren Ellis back in the pages of Excalibur. And it's really been something that um, writers have wanted to work on without ever acknowledging his gross name for 20 years. So it's been really exciting to see so many brilliant writers like Torin Grunbeck really strive uh, on these titles. Anyway, we went a half an hour over. I've had such an incredible time with this incredible group of people. I want to get everybody sign off, say goodbye, shut this motherfucker down. Jake, where can we find you? You can find me on the internet. But specifically uh, on Instagram and I guess Blue Sky with all those additional things at the end. At the Heart Farmer. Beautiful. Jonah, you are also beautiful. And where can we find you? You can find me being beautiful all over anywhere <laughs> with the handle at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. Kevo, you are my drug abuse resistance elephant over in that dare shirt. So I want to know, where can everybody find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me over on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Teek, where can everyone find you? You can find me at TK Elemental. Nico, where can everybody find you? 
I just want to say, TK, you look like what if Rogue was doing a cozy camo look, and I love it. You Shit, can find yeah. me at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. That's Nico Act Ion. Hey, Kyle Rayner. I'm doing a Green Lantern reread right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, until I show back up with my Green Lantern ring on, I don't wear it on air because my green screen makes it invisible. I want you to stay strong, be brave, evolve daily. Come back, check us out on Saturday for our amazing coverage of our live panel deal breakers from the incredible FlameCon event. And then Sunday, we're going to be around to talk about TV like a bunch of big TV loving faggots. And until then, until we uh, fag it up, revs, raves, and rants, uh, Talir Agron, Tim Burnham. Uh, yeah, I know, right? How amazing the people that are over on the incredible. Uh, the Legend of the Traveling TARDIS, I just want to say real quick, Legend of the Traveling TARDIS, um, you know, a Doctor Who show that is definitely our partner series in so many ways. Kevo, you've done over 200 beautiful images for them. You have Gosh, been yeah. on over, our, you know, 50 episodes. I've been lucky enough to be on over 10 incredible episodes. Uh, and the crew over there are breathtaking. Look at how they come and represent out here. I want to thank everybody for an amazing night. Have a great night. Stay strong. Be brave. Evolve daily, etc. Okay. See you Saturday. Bye. Yeah. yeah.